Thank you, Judge Smith, and may it please the Court. My name is Brad Hubbard on behalf of Judge Wayne Mack in his individual capacity. Judge Mack's opening ceremony, which solemnizes the proceedings in his court and recognizes and honors the volunteer chaplains who assist him in his duties as county coroner, is entirely consistent with the Establishment Clause. His practice fits comfortably within our nation's history and tradition of opening government proceedings with chaplain-led invocations. Allowing volunteer chaplains from a variety of faith traditions to offer brief, optional invocations before proceedings begin is materially indistinguishable from the practices approved by the Supreme Court in Town of Greece and by this court in McCarty. And it is also consistent with the voluminous historical evidence in the record here. Is there any voluminous historical evidence of adjudicated prayers being allowed in courtrooms? Yes, there is certainly an extensive history of the practice taking place and that practice that dates back to the founding and includes at least four of the six. Okay, you say it dates back to the founding, but do we have any of that since the founding? Anything in the 20th century? We do, Your Honor, and this is in the record. We describe it at pages 1031 to 40 and the actual original sources are at 1192 to 1407. There's a practice of judges opening their courtrooms with chaplain-led invocations that dates from the founding through the antebellum period, during the Civil War, after the war, during the interwar period, and then on through today. You know, I wonder about that because, I mean, you can find in a country as large as ours, you can find anything, a historical precedent for any kind of conduct of some sort, but I mean, is it prevalent? I mean, can we imagine that the United States Supreme Court would allow a counsel to get up and to make a religious speech or say, Your Honor, I'm going to open my argument with a prayer? Or would the Supreme Court allow a preacher to come up and open it with a prayer? I mean, that seems a little far-fetched to me. You know, Your Honor, there is four of the original six U.S. Supreme Court justices. They actually opened their proceedings. What year was this? Between 1771 and 1796 or so. I mean, but the First Amendment relating to religion changed a little bit since then. Yes, Your Honor, but as the Supreme Court explained in Marsh and again in Town of Greece and most recently— What is the most recent example in this country of hundreds of millions of people or more that this has occurred in the— Of a prayer in court, Your Honor? There was one here this
It cited the judicial, quote, invocation, God save the United States and this honorable court. Now, come on, come on. That's not precedent for what happened in this, in this, in this case. Your Honor, as the court, as the court explained in Marsh and the town of Greece, and again in American Legion, the question is whether a challenged prayer practice as a whole fits within our historical practices and understandings. And the history and tradition we submit is that there have been brief ceremonial prayers that are solemn and respectful in tone and that lend gravity to public proceedings. And the evidence in this case is that the Judge Mack's opening ceremony, which recognizes these volunteer chaplains from a variety of faith traditions, that it fits comfortably within that long history and tradition that includes judicial invocations, that includes legislatures, as in town, as in Marsh. I mean, that's quite a different matter. I mean, I agree that, you know, we have a long history and tradition of opening prayers of Congress as prayers. I mean, no question about that. But when you come to courts, that's what I'm asking about specifically. Right, Your Honor. And we think, you know, there's, again, in the record from 1192 to 1407, we have sort of a detailed history that begins, that begins at the founding and carries on through today of judges engaged in a practice that involves having a chaplain come give a brief ceremonial respectful invocation to open their courtroom proceedings. And plaintiff's nitpicking about... Do you distinguish this court, for example, as an example, as an example that would not lead to establishing a rule that any court could permit outside people to come out, come in, and preach a little sermon before court began? Do you distinguish the court that this happened in, say, from this court? Can they do it down there? Why can't they do it here? I think they could do it here, Your Honor. I don't think that it being in the Justice of the Peace Court matters. I mean, to the extent, by preaching a sermon, you're concerned about a prayer that's not brief or that's not solemn or respectful or a prayer that in some way proselytizes or denigrates or disparages. There could certainly be a claim on that ground. Or if it were a prayer practice that were coercive in some way, there could be a claim on that ground. But again, here, there's no evidence that any of the prayers offered by the various chaplains of the Hindu faith, of the Buddhist faith, of the Islam faith, of Judaism, Catholicism, and Protestantism, that any of them had proselytized in their brief opening prayers. I thought they gave them a little religious pep talk of some sort. I read, I mean, I read in the briefs that they were allowed from time to time to give them a little religious boost. As I understand the records, Your Honor, the plaintiffs don't actually take issue with the contents of any of the prayers. There's no dispute about any of what the various chaplains have said. The complaint instead is about the fact that there is any prayer practice at all that occurs before a court. And this isn't a case like the town of Greece where the complaint was that the prayers were unduly sectarian. There's no claims like that here. And I guess I'd like to sort of close on a few points about coercion to the extent Your Honor is worried about, you know, hosting a mass or hosting a revival in court. 
Um, there, there, there is a backstop. That is, a prayer can't, the prayer practice right can't proselytize on the one hand, and it also can't be uh, coercive on the other. And if anything, the practice in Judge Mack's court is less coercive than the practices that were approved in Town of Greece and in McCarty. And here, you know, the undisputed record underscores that Judge Mack has taken a number of steps to facilitate non-participation, including signs outside of, in, in the back of the courtroom, and an oral reminder from the bailiff that both participation in the invitation, as well as even presence for that opening ceremony is entirely optional and voluntary. And as Justice Kennedy explained in Town of Greece, that that choice to leave or to stay and, quote, quietly acquiesce in an invocation is not, quote, an unconstitutional imposition as to mature adults. Let me ask a question. We're talking about, uh, is there a factual issue here? Uh, no. Factual issue about what is allowed, what is not allowed, what occurred, what didn't occur. I mean, because we, we have uh, you know, testimony that, in other words, is coercion, even coercion, is that a question of fact here that we would remand and have a trial on? I think it ordinarily would be a question of fact, Your Honor, but, but we don't think there's any dispute as to a genuine material dispute as to coercion. We think you can resolve all of the genuine fact disputes in favor of, of the plaintiffs and that our practice is still, yeah, is still constitutional, is still entirely consistent with the practices approved in town of Greece and, and in Marsh and, and in McCarty. Um, again, to, to the extent that it feels some subtle coercive pressures, the court in town of Greece made clear that that was not enough. Right there, the complaint was that um, was that the plaintiffs felt because of the intimate setting of the town board, they felt forced to remain in the room and feign participation to avoid offending the board to vote on matters that the citizens bring before them. And again, the court said that those um, subtle coercive pressures uh, did not rise to the level of a constitutional violation. I, uh, I see my time has expired, and we respectfully request that uh, the court reverse the decision below and render judgment for Judge Mack. Yes, you've saved time for both, Mr. Hubbard. Thank you, Ms. Thompson. Thank you, Judge Smith. May it please the court. The state of Texas is here today as an amicus, along with the states of Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, before turning to the Establishment Clause, I'd like to just briefly address the, the, an initial matter. Uh, in the state's view, the court does not need to further address the sovereign immunity issues that underlie the plaintiff's claims against Judge Mack in his official capacity. Uh, the state of Texas agrees with the state panel's assessment of those issues. Um, but that all of those matters can be addressed if necessary uh, uh, at a later time, uh, for instance, if the plaintiff's motion for attorney's fees against the state needs to be further adjudicated. Uh, so I'll turn now to the Establishment Clause issue. Um, uh, the states agree with Judge Mack that uh, Judge Mack's prayer practice, uh, the invocations offered at the opening of his court sessions, fit comfortably within the historical tradition of deliberative bodies opening with prayer and invocations. Uh, throughout all three amici states, uh, local school boards, local government bodies, courts, and uh, especially in Texas, even statewide adjudicatory bodies, such as the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, for example, uh, all of these open with invocations. Um, some of them are more similar to Judge Max in that they involve a volunteer chaplain. Others may involve a, cha a permanent chaplain. 
or even prayers offered uh, by lawmakers or commissioners themselves. But uh, the fundamental, but the fundamental uh, aspect of all of these is a solemn and deliberative prayer that Brings, brings the participants together and reminds them of the gravity of the proceedings. This is all consistent with our adjudicatory tradition as well as legislative tradition. But it doesn't even have to be a prayer, as I understand it, under the facts here. Is that right? It can be some kind of a, just an inspirational statement? Correct, Your Honor. Uh, some of the volunteer chaplains do not offer a prayer at all. Whenever they talk about inspirational uh, statements, I mean, is that, an, is that a euphemism for a sermon? Your Honor, I, I don't believe so. Uh, and more fundamentally, the plaintiff's dispute here is not with the content of the prayers. Uh, that makes sense because in Town of Greece, the Supreme Court rejected any role for the courts in assessing you know, whether the content of the prayers is you know, sufficiently benign and sectarian or non-sectarian. Uh, the court explained that, you know, there can be sectarian references in these traditional, uh, historically uh, justified prayers, and that the court does not need to assess the individual content of a particular prayer. All right, now, uh, you made, your, uh, your colleague made some reference to the fact that they then get invited Muslims, I think, even, and Jewish uh, rabbis and so on. Uh, do we have any uh, instances in the record of where that has actually occurred? And, uh, and would that be uh, one Muslim or one Jewish rabbi compared to 50 Christian ministers, or how would that work out? Uh, Your Honor, um, I'm not sure of the precise numbers, but the record does reflect that there have been chaplains from minority faiths. Minority faiths are represented in the chaplaincy program. Uh, more fundamentally, though, uh, the same the same sort of uh, balance issue was raised in town of Greece. In in the town of Greece, the Galloway Court, the plaintiffs were concerned that most of the prayers were Protestant Christian ministers who offered them, and the court rejected that as a concern. Um, the the government governing body can have. Representatives who perhaps represent the demographics of the local area, uh, but they don't have to go out of their way to, you know, sort of match that precisely. Uh, the fundamental question is whether or not this general practice overall, over time, uh, would reflect any sort of uh, coercion. And here, as in town of Greece, there's there's no coercion. Do we have a fact finding? Uh, Your Honor, the, the district court uh, granted summary judgment for the plaintiffs. The plaintiffs and the defendants both moved for summary judgment. And uh, so they all agree that there's no genuine dispute of material fact for purposes of summary judgment. Most importantly, uh, Your Honor, the, the states agree, if I may just briefly, Judge Smith, the states agree with Judge Mack that even if all of the facts are are as the plaintiffs contend, it doesn't matter because the prayer practice is still constitutional. All right, thank you, Ms. Thompson. Mr. Grover. Good 
morning, and may it please the court, Sam Grover, arguing on behalf of the Freedom From Religion Foundation and Attorney John Rowe. Judge Mack has not appealed the district court's finding that he created his courtroom prayer practice for a religious purpose and that it has the effect of endorsing religion. Instead, he defends that practice by claiming it reflects a longstanding tradition, but even he knows that there is no such tradition, which is why he campaigned on a platform of introducing prayer into the courtroom. Furthermore, he has not identified a single other modern court that opens with clergy-led prayer. That fact is fatal to his argument under the holdings of Marsh and Town of Greece, which stated that standing alone, historical patterns cannot justify contemporary violations. A practice must have become ubiquitous, or in the words of the Marsh court, a practice must have become part of the fabric of our society in order to pass constitutional muster. Counsel, let me ask you, uh, isn't coercion an important factor in the court's ruling? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, and, and in this case, what objective evidence is there of coercion? Uh, and I, I know there's uh, some testimony or an affidavit from an attorney who felt as though he might be viewed more favorably if he attended the pre-court ceremony, whatever, whatever we call it here today, uh, that he might be viewed more favorably by the judge, but that's a subjective feeling. Is there anything in the record that objectively shows coercion to that gentleman or to anyone else? There are several factors, Your Honor. Uh, first, uh, there are three different attorneys who have testified uh, to feeling the need to participate in the prayer practice in order to best represent their clients before Judge Mack. Um, unlike in Town of Greece and Marsh, uh, Judge Mack's prayers take place directly before the first case is called. After attorneys have checked in with the court clerk and counsel for the first case is already sitting at counsel's table. I, I understand that, but let me, maybe, maybe let me restate my question. What objective evidence is there that the judge orders or makes it very, very clear that attendance is required in order to appear in, in his court or to be viewed favorably? Uh, the evidence is a, a matter of experience for seasoned attorneys in the courtroom, knowing that uh, when Judge Mack enters the courtroom, he makes clear how important the prayer practice is to him. He introduces each chaplain, uh, describes his work with the chaplains, and then the chaplain delivers the prayer. Okay, well, then my next question is, is there any evidence in the record that shows some type of retribution or uh, uh, adverse impact on those who don't attend? Your Honor, uh, Judge Mack makes uh, a big point of the fact that there are, is uh, no written evidence of adverse rulings, but uh, Judge Mack's court is not like an Article Three court. There's no record of the proceedings that happen in his court, and he does not issue written opinions. Well, I understand that. Well, I'm asking you about the record here. In this case, what evidence is there in this case that some adverse impact occurred to someone who didn't attend the opening of court? There's uh, the testimony of, of litigants who have reported to the State Commission on Judicial Conduct that um, in their experience, Judge Mack witnessed them not participating in the prayer practice and um, that he then ruled adversely or acted 
in a manner that appeared biased. But that's their belief. Were they otherwise vindicated legally that he made a ruling in a case that was then overturned or in some way reversed that they could attribute? We don't have record evidence of appeals taking place. That's their suspicion that, gee, I went there, I didn't attend the first part that the judge likes to have, and I lost my case or I didn't get everything that I came to ask for that I felt I was legally entitled to. That's their subjective belief. Is that a fair statement? Yes, Your Honor. For the vast majority of the litigants in Judge Mack's courtroom, appealing Judge Mack's decision, which does not have to be tethered to any written opinion, is cost prohibitive. For most litigants in the courtroom, Judge Mack is the beginning and end of the justice system. Okay. And is there any evidence, contrary-wise, that someone is viewed so favorably as to be the justice of the peace's pet, so to speak, teacher's pet, that when they walk in, you know, they get everything they ask for almost always? The record does contain evidence of Attorney Rowe in his deposition testifying to litigants trying to appease Judge Mack or appeal to his religiosity by complimenting the prayer practice. Okay. But again, that's a subjective belief of Attorney Rowe. There's not, you don't have evidence like statistics or anything that show that this person attends all the time and this person always prevails or anything of that sort. No, Your Honor. There's no statistical evidence in the record. One of the attorneys in the record actually won his case. Is that right? He actually prevailed even though he was complaining. Yes, Your Honor. Attorney Scott Smith had a case that, in his mind, he could not lose, but he was given the minimal of what he could possibly get from a legal standpoint after not participating in the prayer practice. Under the Town of Breeze coercion analysis, it is both the setting and the audience of the prayer practice that goes into the coercion analysis. And we've mostly been talking about the courtroom setting, but the audience also contrasts significantly for Judge Mack's courtroom prayers. Unlike in Greece where the principal audience was not the public, but lawmakers themselves, in Judge Mack's courtroom, chaplains direct the prayers at those in attendance. All the litigants and juvenile criminal defendants. Similarly, unlike in Greece, Judge Mack's prayers are routinely directed at multiple children where that was not held to be the case in Greece or Marsh. And finally, while in Greece the audience experienced only occasional invitations to stand that did not come from the lawmakers, but the chaplains in Judge Mack's court, the bailiff issues an all rise command that precedes each prayer. In short, the courtroom setting is substantially more coercive than a town board meeting. Litigants are coerced into participating because no litigant is going to risk eviction, their financial well-being, or their very freedom in a criminal matter by conspicuously abstaining from a fair. What authority does this judge have in Texas to put people in jail? What kind of crimes? It's misdemeanors. Misdemeanor crimes. I don't have good examples. There's no example. Does he routinely put people in jail or is there any evidence that he basically does not try criminal cases other than 
misdemeanors that don't require jail time? Your Honor, it's certainly within the minds of litigants in the court that Judge Mack has the power to institute criminal penalties and that for the attorneys in the courtroom and the litigants, they can be held in contempt of court based on their conduct in the courtroom. We don't have any evidence that he has ever put anybody in jail in this case. Because of the courtroom prayer practice, no, Your Honor. But again, this speaks to Judge Mack's power as a judge in his courtroom and the courtroom setting being inherently a coercive one. But I mean, really, we don't have any evidence of any harm. I mean, it's like, except for the First Amendment, I mean, he's not doing anybody any harm. Your Honor, Attorney Rowe has lost business and no longer takes court cases in Judge Mack's court in order to avoid the prayer practice. That is concrete. So she lost business because he decided not to go? Yes, Your Honor. Is Town of Greece your strongest Supreme Court authority? March in Town of Greece, Your Honor, yes. There, the history of legislative prayer is what ultimately decided those cases. And those decisions can't be divorced from their finding that legislative prayer specifically has an unambiguous history dating to the founding and that the practice has persisted unbroken since that time. Tracing legislative prayer to the founding was not just to establish that the practice is old because the March court specifically stated that standing alone historical patterns cannot justify contemporary violations. Instead, the importance of the founding era evidence was to gain insight into how the drafters of the First Amendment viewed the clause's application to the specific practice of legislative prayer. Here, we don't have any similar evidence. Additionally, it was not enough that legislative prayer existed at the founding. The practice endured since that time through our nation's entire history and it remains ubiquitous today. How does he have standing if he elects not to go? I mean, certain lawyers elect not to practice in certain courts all the time. I mean, even here in Louisiana, some lawyers don't like to practice in federal court and some prefer to practice in certain state court districts but not others. How does, if he makes that choice for whatever reason, how does that give him standing in this case to feel coerced? Your Honor, avoidance in order to avoid a constitutional harm is a well-established form of standing in establishment clause cases. But as a practical matter, as a small town attorney running his own business, Attorney Rowe needs all the business he can get. It is a considerable financial strain to limit the number of courts that he practices. How many times has he appeared and been unsuccessful before this judge? He's appeared for roughly 20 different cases. Okay, and what is his track record, his one loss record? Of course, it depends on the cases, I understand. If you're representing somebody who's being evicted and they hadn't paid the rent, your chances of prevailing are significantly less. But what is his one loss record? His one loss record, Your Honor, shouldn't be relevant to this court's determination because Attorney Rowe did always participate in the prayer practice. He did not abstain. Despite it violating his sincerely held beliefs, he felt that it would be a detriment to his clients to conspicuously abstain from the practice. What is Texas Town is this? It's Montgomery County, but what is the town in Montgomery? 
Willis, uh, there's a court in Willis and another one. Where, where is that located? Uh, Willis, Texas. I know, but where's Willis? Uh, it's, uh, it, it's north of um, uh, Houston, Your Honor. It's the, it's the county immediately north of, of Harris, Harris County, which is immediately north of Harris County, which is Houston. Yes, thank you. Actually, um, Houston extends barely into Montgomery County, but essentially it's, it's, it's a neighboring county. Judge Max, cherry-picked historical evidence demonstrates that his practice is an aberration. He found only five reports of judges opening the daily court sessions over our nation's uh, entire 232-year history. And four of the five articles expressly described the prayers opening those courts as unprecedented, never before seen in those courts. And in none of those courts did the practice continue, meaning that today not only is Judge Mack's prayer practice an aberration, it appears to be unique. To call that a tradition under the town of Greece test turns the term on its head. There were Counsel, have, have the plaintiffs in this case or anyone else to your knowledge filed a complaint with whatever in Louisiana we call it the Judiciary Commission, an ethical complaint over this? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, what was the disposition, if you know? The uh, Texas State Commission on Judicial Conduct uh, cautioned Judge Mack to end his practice, but stated that because there was no uh, court ruling declaring the practice unconstitutional, uh, they would not enforce uh, whether he participated or continued the practice. So instead of relying on actual examples of courts opening with clergy-led prayer, Judge Mack attempts to force a square practice into a round hole by analogizing it to various practices that are not even prayers, for example, the Supreme Court's opening cry. But that, that is not delivered by a minister, it's not called a prayer, it doesn't include the words, let us pray in Jesus' name or amen, like many of Judge Mack's prayers. It's one sentence uttered by rote at the end of an otherwise secular cry, alerting litigants to prepare for court to start. The analogy to prayer overlooks everything that makes a prayer a prayer. Ultimately, Judge Mack is asking the court to hold that Marsh and Greece justify courtroom prayer, even though the majority of justices in Greece specifically said that the opinion does not do that. Writing in dissent, Justice Kagan described a hypothetical courtroom prayer practice that so closely mirrors Judge Mack's practice that the only difference the stay motion panel in this case identified is that in the hypothetical, uh, the judge instructed those in attendance to stand while in Judge Mack's Any evidence that the judge himself is involved in the content of the remarks or prayer that his invitees make in court? No, Your Honor, Judge Mack does not prohibit any content from the chaplains in his courtroom. So he tells the, all of these people that are speaking, just say what's on your heart. Yes, uh, the, the chaplains are free to proselytize or to express fealty to God. And, and these they often. These chaplains are not necessarily ordained ministers, are they? Uh, they, they are. The, the record uniformly uh, demonstrates that they are. All of them are ordained ministers. Uh, yes, in their various faith traditions. Uh, they're almost exclusively Christian. Uh, there is a token representative of three or four other religions. Right, now, I know that the judge said that it's open to, uh, to people of other religions, including the Jewish religion and Muslim religion. Is there any instance in which uh, that has, has any evidence that that has occurred? Uh, 
Judge Mack testified that he recalls some instances of that, but there's no concrete evidence in the record. Did he detail it? Did he say, on such and such a date, I met a rabbi, on such and such a date, I had a Muslim assailant? No. There may be one example of that in the record. Judge Mack also testified that he doesn't consider the remarks made by imams to be prayers, even though they invoke their personal God. As you know, just a few days ago, the Supreme Court decided the Houston Community College v. Wilson case, which was also a First Amendment case. I ask you this question, and I'm going to have Mr. Hubbard ready to respond as well on rebuttal. The court said, quoting, long settled and established practice is a consideration of great weight. Often a regular course of practice can illuminate or liquidate our founding documents, terms, and phrases. The parties supply little reason to think that the First Amendment was designed or commonly understood to upend this practice, the practice in question in that case. Which way does that decision cut, if at all, in your case? Your Honor, the quoted language sounds like a restatement of the holding in Marsh, which is that a practice must have become part of the fabric of our society in order to be considered under the history and traditions test. And courtroom prayer certainly isn't that. There's no modern example of a court other than Judge Mack's opening with prayer. The most recent example of a judge opening with prayer is one that Judge Mack chooses not to cite, which is from the Fourth Circuit's Constangi opinion in 1999, where that court held under the Marsh history and tradition test that courtroom prayer does not have a history and tradition in this country. To briefly speak about Ex parte Young in 1983, not only is that issue not ripe because the state of Texas has a pending motion in the district court currently asking that court to reconsider the official capacity defendant's ruling. That issue wasn't briefed by any of the parties here. Judge Mack agrees that it has no bearing on this appeal or the relief that Judge Mack seeks. That comes from his reply brief, page 3, note 1. We ask that this panel vacate the state panel's statements regarding Ex parte Young because the analysis wasn't relevant and wasn't brief, and also that it was wrong on the law. Vacating the opinion would negate conflicts within this circuit with its prior treatment of Ex parte Young as not creating a separate cause of action in Nijin and Aguilar, for instance, which are described in the Institute for Justice amicus brief on page 9 to 10. I'd also like to call this court's attention to a March 10th Harvard Law Review article about this very issue which analyzes the motion panel's decision. It's 135 Harvard Law Review, 1472. At least four other circuits have explicitly rejected the notion that Ex parte Young creates a separate cause of action. Those are also cited in the Institute for Justice and Foundation for Individual Rights in Education amicus brief. We ask this court to take Justice Alito's word in Town of Greece that that decision does not justify courtroom prayer and that interpreting it that way 
quote, would lead to a country in which religious minorities are denied the equal benefits of citizenship. Nothing could be further from the truth. For that reason, this court uh, should uh, affirm the district court's holding and, uh, and not allow Judge Matt to open his court sessions with clergy like Craig. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Grover. Mr. Hubbard, you've saved some time for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Just a few points. Uh, first, uh, to be clear, there's no evidence that Judge Mack has ever put anyone in jail, ever, uh, in large part because uh, justices of the peace only have authority over misdemeanors where the maximum punishment is a fine. Um, as to history uh, and tradition, it's about the whether a practice is the same solemnizing invocation. In March, there was one Protestant minister who presided for 16 years in the town of Greece. There were volunteer chaplains, and both were okay. Um, and about what dates all the way back to the founding, in McCarty, as this court explained, there were no public schools, and so no public school boards at the founding. So we don't have to match every jot and tittle of what the historical practice was. The but, but, but Mr. Grover uh, represents to us that, uh, if I understood him, uh, that there's no history of this sort of tradition uh, in courts. Is, is that right? I think that's um, absolutely incorrect, Your Honor. He concedes that there are at least five examples of daily prayer, and we don't think that daily even matters. And we said he also does not dispute that four of the six original Supreme Court justices engage in a practice substantially similar to Judge Max by having uh, chaplains preside and give a brief prayer at the beginning of the court when they were out riding circuit. Um, on the Fourth Circuit's Castagni opinion, that was decided in 1991, not 1999. Um, it applied the Lemon Test, and it also applied Allegheny County in its concern about non-sectarian prayer, which Town of Greece unequivocally abrogated. Um, and I think um, one, one sort of final point on the inclusivity of Judge Mack's practice. The reason why there are representatives of six or... Yeah, is it relevant? that the um, First Amendment had no application to states uh, in this entire period of time for the example that you are citing of uh, historical precedent? No, Your Honor, the, the United States Supreme Court justices riding circuit in the, in the federal courts would have still been bound by the First Amendment. So even, even if you were to say that the state examples there were irrelevant, um, we still have federal examples. Um, the reason why Judge Mack's practice is inclusive, it includes uh, people of, of several different faith traditions and belief values, um, is because when he was doing his job as a coroner, he wanted to be able to provide people with the type of counseling and the type of comfort that they needed specific to their own faith traditions. And so he went out and found a chaplain who was Hindu and a chaplain who was Buddhist and a chaplain who was Jewish and a chaplain who was Muslim and a chaplain who was Catholic and a chaplain who was Protestant so they could minister to those people in their greatest time of need. Um, and this opening ceremony is just a way to recognize the work that those people do on a day-in, day-out basis for the community, um, responding to, to the accidents and the other tragic events that Judge Mack is called on um, to attend as the county coroner. Um, and, and as to how many times an imam has been present. You know, there's no dispute that an imam has given the invocation. 
The undisputed record evidence is that no one has been turned away. And so in Tyler Greece, I think it was 98% were of some Christian denomination or another, but there was evidence of a Baha'i and a Wiccan. In Marsh, the undisputed evidence was that the same Presbyterian minister had given the invocation for 16 years. And here, Judge Mack's practice is both far more inclusive than those practices and far less coercive. Because Judge Mack's opening ceremony is entirely— What kind of instructions does he give them, the participants in this program, about how long they should speak or about what he should speak about? I mean, does he say you can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ or are you limited to— He asks them to be brief. Says what? He asks them to be brief. That's his only instruction is be brief. That is, Your Honor. And there has been—he has said in his deposition testimony, which no one has disputed, that there has been no proselytization and nor would there be. And again, plaintiffs here, they don't take issue with the content of any of the prayers. They don't suggest that, you know, this prayer given on X day was not consistent with our history and tradition of brief, solemn, respectful prayers that lend gravity to the proceedings. There's no complaint about the content of the prayers. It is the fact that there is a chaplain invoking God in accordance that bothers plaintiffs. We respectfully request that the state remain until this court have an opportunity to weigh in on the merits, and then on the merits, this court reverse the decision below and render judgment for Judge Mack. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Hubbard. Case is under submission. Next case on the docket, Phillips v. Medical Device Business Services, Incorporated.